the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back Monday, December 6th. I hope you all had a great weekend. Let me give you the phone number right off the top here, 602-508-0960. Semper Paratus. That is the official motto of the Coast Guard. It means always ready. Many of you know of the Boy Scouts' motto, be prepared. We conservatives need to adopt those instructions as well. Including one Bill Bennett told me when he was operating uh, the Department of Education under Ronald Reagan. He said they had the three A's, always assume assault whenever going before the press, the three A's. Thus, in the going, ongoing effort to marginalize and silence conservatives, be prepared for what I believe is a loose affiliation of ideologues using every methodology at their disposal to put conservatives or Republicans in the box marked Dangerous. The left first tried this when they marched shouting things like silence equals violence, and they've now inverted that view to a more poignant one. Words, if the wrong ones based on politics are used, can equal or constitute violence. First it was silence, and now it's their utterance. You've heard me on this before, but it's probably worth repeating in summary. The connection and distinction between thoughts, words, and violence been completely turned cattywampus. Speech, political speech, what is actually mentioned in the First Amendment, has been interpreted to cover action by calling what the founders called speech expression. The founders, however, did not use the word expression. Expression was not a word the founders thought belonged in the First Amendment. Go look at your copy of it. The word they use is speech. As the great constitutional scholar Walter Burns put it, according to the unabridged Oxford English Dictionary, expression originally meant the act of pressing or squeezing out, hence to expel or get rid of by force. Perhaps now one can understand why debates over the First Amendment and the arts, say, consider Andre Serrano or Robert Maplethorpe or live sex acts in a theater or club, or flag burning, or violent rioting, all those things are perfectly protected by the First Amendment in our courts now because they are considered expression. But none of those things is actually what the founders talked about, speech. That's how you get to protect action, by confusing it and calling it speech. But the founders, let me point out, were not unskilled at the English language. If they meant expression, they would have written that. And if they had meant and written that, they would not have had to add to the First Amendment the exercise of religion, which is an action, or the freedom of the press, all in the First Amendment. None necessary if we were just protecting expression as an umbrella policy. Why would you add the press? Why would you add religion and its exercise? On the other hand, things that are speech literally have been taken to be action so that they can be punished 
Remember, we don't punish speech, but we can punish action. And so the inversion, because as Thomas Jefferson put it, the coercion of the laws can operate on the actions of the body, but never the measurements of the mind. So we can arrive at a situation where if you say the wrong thing politically or say to the wrong side, you can held, be held guilty of incitement. Think January 6th. Donald Trump says, literally, march peacefully, and he gets impeached for inciting lawlessness. You have to be on the right side to understand all this. So I was watching CBS Sunday morning yesterday when all this occurred to me again. They did a bit on extremism and political dialogue and the fraction in our politics that is caused by it. They stated with imagery – they started, sorry. They started with the imagery of Congresswoman Lauren Boebert and her jape about Ilan Omar. And then they showed an image of Omar. What they did not show or report was anything Ilan Omar has ever said. They did not, for example, mention or quote her anti-Semitic remarks about Jews and money. They did not mention her dismissal of 9-11 as anything more than some people doing something. They did not mention that she called Israel an evil country. They did not mention she made fun of people who used the words al-Qaeda in a negative or worrisome context. And they did not quote her saying that the United States president was a tyrant and a racist. Then again, neither has Nancy Pelosi ever quoted Ilan Omar on those things. Her defense of Ilan Omar was, quote, she uses language differently than the rest of us, close quote. I guess that's a version of people will do what people will do, which I guess is a version of some people did something. By the way, all those words were used to excuse actual violence, 9-11 and rioting. So there you have it immediately. A poor, beaten-up congresswoman in Minnesota, a victim of a right-wing yahoo out of Colorado, because they quoted the Coloradan, but not the Minnesotan. Then CBS yesterday went back in time to 1984 and a fight between Tip O'Neill, then Speaker of the House, and Congressman Newt Gingrich, then a backbencher of little note. They quote, it's interesting to think of a time when, t- when Newt Gingrich wasn't known, isn't it? Anyway, they quoted Tip O'Neill. They made it look as if Newt Gingrich called him un-American and had his remarks removed from the record for violating the rules of the House. This is not what happened. It was Tip O'Neill who called Newt Gingrich un-American, and it was Tip O'Neill's words that were removed from the congressional record for violating protocol of the House. This in a House of Representatives run by Democrats at the time, no less. But the job by CBS, the hit job, was accomplished. The Republicans are a nasty piece of work. The Democrats are just good and decent people. I swear if revisionism doesn't kill us, wokeism and the abuse of language for political purposes certainly will. Now, even Ibram X. Kendi can put an article in the Atlantic Monthly this month speaking about white supremacy on the right identifying specifically the Proud Boys as one such leading organization. Of course, it's led by an Afro-Cuban, as the vernacular has it. But, you know, what does that matter? He's a white supremacist. This is why Larry Elder can be the black face of white supremacy. Race actually means little anymore now. Your race is defined by your ideology. If you are a Democrat, you will not be called racist. If you are a conservative, you will be, irrespective of anything having to do with your narrative. If you think there's a danger in tying race to ideology, which is to say ethnicity to thinking 
and that maybe somewhere in history this has happened before, you're not wrong. Racism, we were taught, was about the worst thing, maybe tertiarily the worst thing one can be accused of. It has been so watered down into meaninglessness because, well, see above. It has been so vitiated, a new phrase was needed. In other words, everyone's ears got used to volume level 10 and now probably level 11. We need a volume level 15 to shock and surprise. I give you the recrudescent advent of white supremacy. If you don't think those who invaded the Capitol on January 6th were guilty of insurrection, you are a white supremacist. All of this is the ongoing effort to marginalize and shut us up and shut us down. It can come from Nancy Pelosi and it can come from CBS. It's not new, but it is more confirming and settling into a generalized acculturation and wisdom. Who? Here's a game. Who, for example, was condemned in the New York Times for being a racist in 1987 for opposing the African National Congress on the basis of its terrorism? Same person about whose visit to Arizona in 1996 when he was running for president does the New York Times report. Protesters stood outside his arena shooting, go away, racist, sexist, hey, hey, hey. Who were these two candidates? Really the same one. None other than the man you've seen tribute after tribute to yesterday and today. The genteel statesman, don't you know? The man many said reminded them of a better time in politics. Bob Dole. May he finally rest in peace. About whose campaign for the presidency to the country's most famous columnist at the time write, quote, the smell of fascism has been at the air at this convention. Well, that would be Barry Goldwater, the man many have said reminds them of a better time in politics. Mein Kampf was the template of the 1964 convention of Barry Goldwater's. The mayor of San Francisco said then, since he's passed, we pine for old AUH2O. When we are a threat, when our politicians are in their prime, they are racists and worse. Always have been, if they're Republican. The difference today? It was shocking to read those things then, though they were said. It is not shocking now. We've become used to and inured to it. That is an unhealthy acculturation, and it's dangerous. How, after all, do you teach your children about the dangers of racism and fascism and Nazism these days? Hitler equaled Goldwater. David Duke equaled Bob Dole. I can do the same with Reagan. But it's worse now and more omnipresent and ubiquitous. So we must be better. Not in changing how we talk or what we say or believe, but in calling them out as the true undemocrats, the true illiberals and the true enemies of the common language. To appeal to racism and the worst moments of history in order to take down Republicans so as obtain, to obtain a single-party state. Well, there was a word for that once. Demagoguery. Dangerous demagoguery. The work of the real fascists. The work of the real Mein Kampf and manifesto authors. Fight it. They've ruined and redefined speech. They are trying to redefine us. And they are certainly trying to do all of this in the service of redefining America. Fight it. I was, uh, thank you for that, Bill. I was, re welcome back. I was re-watching one of the greatest documentaries. For those of you that like music as much or more than I do, I was re-watching the 
documentary called The Wrecking Crew. I can talk about with talk about it with you all all day long if you want. If you haven't seen it, it's fun. You can see it in front of the whole family and with the whole family. Um, it's a it's it's basically the group of studio musicians in Los Angeles who were the top musicians, really, maybe in the world, that were uncredited quite often, but were involved in almost every song you would know. <laughs> From, yeah, Beach Boys to uh, cartoon theme songs to all kinds of things. And it was particularly centered around a bass player, a drummer, a, um, a guitarist or two, and, um, and a few others. Glenn Campbell was part of it for a while, believe it or not. Other famous folks uh, were before they left. Anyway, the music is so great. I was rewatching that documentary and uh, was thinking about pet sounds. You know, one of the things I knew and I forgot to um, ever mention on air. This is a piece you thought I've given you all the music trivia I have. Um, you know, we should add this for In-N-Out Bumper Bill. It's a Beach Boys song called God Only Knows. And do you know why it's interesting aside from... It's brilliance. It's the first song in rock and roll history to put God in the title. Have I ever shared that on air? I don't think I have. Um, and it was a debate, evidently, between some of the Beach Boys regarding whether they should do it or not. And it was a debate because, you know, outside of God Bless America, God wasn't really ever in the title of a song. And this is, what, 1966 or so? And... Uh, and it just seemed like, you know, maybe this was not appropriate. Well, I think it is. I think it's great. And uh, credit the Beach Boys for uh, bringing um, bringing God into in, into popular music in a positive way. Tell me if I'm wrong about that. But that is the first song to put God in the title. Is that not a little interesting? Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys. Can we add it for permanent? It's it's worth doing, even if it's just an out, Bill. It doesn't have to be an in, if that's easier. Just an out. Okay. Back to something I was just talking about in my monologue, which was the libel against Republicans and conservatives when they are in their prime for being extremists, racists, you name it, only to be um, saluted, heralded apotheosized once they are no longer in politics or when they die. You're seeing this with Bob Dole to uh, a degree, You are, and you have seen it with a lot of others, Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater. All you really have to do is identify the proper noun of whoever compares the Republican Party today to. That's all you have to do. I pine for the day when it was whoever that X is. Go back and read what the media was saying and the Democrats were saying about that person when they were in business, when they were running for office, when they were serving in office, when they were making the name that made them famous. Because it's all the same things they said about Donald Trump. Which brings back really another myth that needs to be dealt with, and it's perhaps even just a little tougher. I'm looking at a piece from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that was uh, sent to me today saying um, the era of the moderate Republican is over. And they're tying it to Governor Charlie Baker of Massachusetts's 
leaving politics. He's a Republican governor of Massachusetts leaving politics, and they're saying the um, the moderate Republicans' age and day is over. And I got to tell you, I've read through this op-ed twice to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And I guess the author is promoting Howard Baker and Bob Dole as moderate Republicans in our lifetime. Not I guess, he is. And I'm just sitting, and of course, William Weld gets a mention uh, as governor of Massachusetts, too, because Charlie Baker served. So we have Howard Baker, Bob Dole, and um, and, uh, and William Weld as Republicans in our, in our lifetime. And their disappearance from the political scene, meaning the end of the moderate Republican. I, I just want to examine a little bit what's going on here. Howard Baker served as Ronald Reagan's chief of staff. Was Ronald Reagan a moderate Republican? Was he? William Weld has joined and left the Republican Party at least three times by my count and has run for the vice presidency of the United States on the libertarian ticket, only to return to the Republican primaries this past uh, 2020 to try and unseat Donald Trump. He goes nowhere. Is it because we don't like Bill Weld's moderacy? Or is it because we're not exactly sure what Bill Weld stands for anymore or ever did? The myth of the moderate Republican or the Republican Party being in the hands of moderates that has been ruined by what CBS tried to do by showing Newt Gingrich as the modern era of the Republican Party's extremism is a chronological, a historical, and wrong. And wrong. Who was the last moderate that ran as a Republican and got the nomination? When did we ever have moderates? Oh, George W. Bush, you say? I'm sorry, wasn't there a hue and cry against a talk show host during the day part? for sitting next to him in his retirement at a baseball game, or was it basketball, I think baseball game, because he was a warmonger? I have more to say about this, a lot more to say about this. Think of, think of it this way. You've heard me on this before, too. Go read the first Republican platform, the Republican Party platform of 1856. Go read it. See what it says about things like social issues and family values. You tell me if it's a moderate party or not. We'll do more. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 34 past the hour brings us John Dombrowski with our culture and economy update. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. And 
He has his very own radio show right here every Saturday morning on 960 AM, The Word on Wealth. I hope you had a good weekend, John. I did. It was fantastic. Did we, you watch uh, any old movies or anything like that? Are you getting into the Christmas spirit of things We did. We did. Such? We were putting up Christmas decorations and... Uh, you know, getting ready for That's the, an aerobic exercise at the Dombrowski uh, At our house? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. I can't believe it. We, we probably have more decorations than we could decorate five homes. I've only seen one house <laughs> with more. You know that one in Arcadia? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is that still around? I don't know. Uh, the one, uh, there's one on uh, 44th. 44th Street. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think they're still doing that. Christina in my office uh, grew up with the family and... Uh, so she knows that that family. Oh, very bless well. them! Yeah. Bless them! At oh one point, uh, Greg Stanton was giving him a hard time and stuff because of traffic. Stupid, yeah, yeah, stupid things. But, God, but people Grinch. love it. Why? Yeah. There's so much traffic because people love it. Yes, hot you know. chocolate and Christmas. Yeah. Let's yeah. cancel that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Not on our watch, right, John? <laughs> no. Uh, all right. Talk to me about the Dow and everything else jumped a lot today. Is it? Merely because we're getting grips with Omicron, or what do you think? I think that's part of it, yes. Um, You know, last week was a pretty volatile week. Uh, Quite a bit of erratic movement in the markets. We did see the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P all down. Uh, Actually, the NASDAQ, the worst of the three major indexes. Um, But the Dow was down just under 1% last week at the close of the week, where today it was up 1.87. So it's recaptured all of its losses uh, from last week. Um, so I would I would say this is is the volatility over? No, probably not. Uh, but it seems like the uh, new strain of the virus uh, is now being seen for what it is. Probably not as bad as uh, yeah. the initial thought. And you and I talked yeah. about that yeah. uh, earlier last week. Yeah. Uh, and also, it seems like the market's coming to grips with the possibility that the Fed's going to stop buying bonds that we talked about as well. And uh, interest rates seem to be kind of at bay at the moment. So a lot of factors are kind of working right now, but uh, investors today felt very good about putting money back to work. When you talk about the volatility of the market that we've been experiencing for a while, do you tie that to really the beginning of, um, I don't know, February, March-ish of last year, kind of the COVID onslaught? Is that what kind of set this off or has it been kind of problematically volatile for a little while? Well, there were a couple of factors, I think, that, that brought the volatility on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, one was uh, the new the new strain of the virus, yep. the unknown about that, some of the comments that were made probably uh, irresponsibly yep. initially, uh, but then also um, the Fed um, changing their policy uh, and maybe talking about um, the transitory nature of inflation that they initially talked about, maybe not the case. Is this why they're kind of what they're saying, uh, change, pivoting a little on bond buying stimulus stuff? Yes. Is that, is that tied to that? That's all bit? tied to uh-huh. it, yes. Uh, and so this, if that is true, if if, if inflation is going to be here longer than, than expected, then it's, it's going to push back uh, what we would have hoped to be a you know, continuation of the recovery. And so, of course, if, there, if there's going to be inflation, that means less profits for corporations, and that means uh, possibly uh, less Money for all of us, right? Because we're going to be spending more as we see the price of gas not really changing, not coming down. Uh, Apparently, there was a report, though, that the ports uh, in California seem to be operating a little bit at a higher capacity than they have been. Still not solved, that challenge of of getting all of those uh, containers 
off the ships, unloaded, and then onto trucks or rails and getting them shot across the country uh, so that they could be put on the store shelves. But I think if everybody was uh, you know, looking at buying food for Thanksgiving and so forth and now going into Christmas, uh, it seems like the the shelves were fairly um, – Full. Yeah, better than better than I worried. Yeah, to be honest I didn't have with you. I'm better than food, a little yeah. better than they were the weeks prior. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and 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 I guess you and I are probably over our you know our our next several weeks are probably going to want to look at the watch the Fed a little bit more because when it comes to inflation, that's what we're talking. I mean, more eyes will be on the Fed, won't they? Absolutely. You know? What what are, what are they going to do? Yeah. Uh, and we're going to hear this week, and there's a variety of different reports too, economic uh, reports that will come out this week that we want to keep a close eye on, again, all having to do with jobs uh, and unemployment and the consumer sentiment as well. So lots going on. Uh, those are the things we stay on top of all the time so that we can help advise our clients properly for their investments to help them get into a comfortable retirement. Nicely done. Nicely said, sir. You Thank bet. you. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipican, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Bless you, John. Thank Bless you, you, sir. Bye-bye. Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I I lived in Austin, Texas once. I was just thinking about that song. I lived in Austin, Texas once upon a time, and I was uh, working for a cellular phone company at the time and went out with some colleagues to a – I forget there was a – maybe it was a birthday celebration for someone or something. We went to a, a fairly nice restaurant for lunch. Not not the typical restaurant we would go to. Typical restaurant we would go to would have been like Wendy's, but it was some nice sit-down cloth napkin place. And someone walks in and says, my gosh, that person over there thinks he's Dan Rather. And I did a double take. It actually was Dan Rather. He lived in Austin at the time. And I had seen him on, I think it was the Letterman show, two or three nights before, singing that song, Orange Blossoms Special. And I went up to him. I know I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't have done it, but I had to. I just, I just had to. I went up to him and I said, Mr. Rather, I am such a fan. He goes, well, thank you. I work hard to get you there. And I said, not of your reporting, but of your music. You did a great version of Orange Blood. He took it in good stride. I shouldn't have done it. It wasn't. You, you, you try not to. But I thought he might like hearing I love. I watched. I liked him for his Johnny Cash impression. <laughs> anyway, um, I probably was wrong to do it. I uh, I did want to circle back not only to the extremism and the Republican Party assault line, but also how language is generally used and weaponized. With a story we were discussing in depth a little in depth a little the story we were discussing. On Friday, and it had to do with crime. Uh, we can do this with almost any policy: the distortion of language. How many times have you heard about the problem in America of mass incarceration? Mass incarceration, mass incarceration for nonviolent crimes, even. Well, all of that setting of the table, even conferences or articles or policy papers or positions uh, 
or starting points that use the phrase mass incarceration already have set a table of think has set the table for your thinking haven't hasn't it you're already led to believe oh okay we have mass incarceration what must we do what must we do um this is a country that has 225,000 federal prisoners okay and it has 1.3 people in the state prison system. That's it. All in. All in. That's our incarceration population. Effectively 1.5 million people. When you do the math of adults in America and you realize you're now talking about half of 1% of the American population does that constitute massive incarceration to you? Half of a percent of our population. Now it does. It does. It does. As as anyone being incarcerated in a life of crime, speak to a failure of some sort or other, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, it's not a good thing when someone commits a crime. I think it is a good thing when someone commits a crime and is caught and is uh, incarcerated, if needs be. Would anyone have thought mass incarceration? It's always an interesting test. Ask people what they what they not what they know, because no one knows these stats, but what they think they know. Ask them next time you're curious how many people or what percent of the American population is in prison. I'm betting the answer is millions. I'm betting that's the answer. I'm betting. Because you use this phrase over and over and over again until it sinks in, and you can now kind of control the debate. Seinfeld years ago had a um, had a really funny episode. Um, years years ago, of course, every episode was, but it it involved the postman Newman, Newman, and Kramer was trying to cancel the mail, and Newman was saying, "You can't." You know, we mailmen are the most important people in the country because he who controls the mail controls information. Well, he who controls the language of what we talk about and how we talk about it controls the mindset and the starting point for the discussion and the debate and the conversation. A conference on mass incarceration, let's say. So... Do we have are, are, are we a society that massively then the other part of this, then the other part of this, the problem of mass incarceration of nonviolent criminals, you know, they're mostly for drug crimes. That's that's often an appendage to the sentence. But let's leave the drug crimes alone for a minute. I'll get to that. Let's just do the next step here in the trick of the mind and the trick of the rhetoric and the trick of the diction. Mass incarceration of non-violent criminals. Okay. Okay. Well, you have to understand a little bit more about the criminal justice system than to just swallow that chapter heading or concept hook, line, and sinker. I'm reading a piece by Liz Peake. She, she does a good job of analyzing this because someone is in prison or sentenced or punished 
for something that might be deemed nonviolent? I don't know. Fraud, let's say. It's not necessarily because they were arrested for a nonviolent crime. It's because they pled down to a lesser offense. Consider 94% of people in jail have not been tried by a jury. Do you know that? 94% have not been tried by a jury. Why? Why, Bill? Why? Because they pled down in a deal so that they wouldn't have to go through the trial of the harder crimes for which they were originally arrested and charged. A criminal charged with armed robbery, for instance, could plead guilty to a possession of a deadly weapon, seeking a lesser sentence. A drug dealer might plead down to possession of an illegal substance, even though he was caught with an illegal firearm or several firearms or any number of other things engaged in a domestic abuse situation um, erased and, uh, arrested, for, uh, arrested for physical violence, but the victim, for obvious reasons, didn't want to cooperate. Maybe it was a lover. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe there was a family dynamic. Keep in mind, on that drug issue, why are we arresting people for drugs at all in the first place? Possession of drugs? We aren't. Haven't in a really long time. Really long time. 99% of those sentenced for drugs are there for trafficking, not possession. That's how the system works. And those who are in prison for anything aren't necessarily there for what they were arrested for in the first place. We are trying to separate the criminal from the civil so that we can have a civil society and it can all start corrupting at the basis and misuse and deliberate misuse of language. Thanks, Bill. I don't know why that song is hitting me pretty. Uh, Joe Diffie, we lost him last year. Was he a COVID casualty? I don't remember. I think maybe, but uh, we lost him last year. A heck of a heck of a musician. Um, something I wanted to bring up with John Dombrowski. Maybe I'll do so tomorrow. But it was something he said that had me thinking. You know about the volatility of the markets based on the fears of COVID and, in this case, Omicron receding a little bit. Do you realize how easy – you've heard me on this uh, before – how easy it is to provoke a democracy into overreaction? It's not easy, frankly, to provoke a tyranny into overreaction because the entire tyranny is one overreaction. I, it, I, I can't separate what goes on on a workaday, day-to-day, but now sick basis with tyrannies as opposed to what should go on in a calmer democracy or Republican form of government. It's easy to provoke us to over. React, however, and you have seen overreactions uh, by any of our state apparatuses uh, in any number of contexts over any number of decades. Uh, we can think of examples. We don't have to do it right now. Just bear with me a moment. John was talking about the market's reactions and volatility because of COVID. Do you realize you get three or four people in government Pressing fear, pressing the fear and panic button. I guess that's what we use. We'll call it the panic button. Pressing the panic button over something like Omicron. 
and the markets go into disarray and millions and billions of dollars of wealth can be lost until they decide it's okay they were wrong. Whatever happened to just taking a breath and letting us figure it out without stampeding to crisis mode all the time? Yesterday, Anthony Fauci was doing the Sunday shows, and he was asked about, for example, the travel bans coming out of South Africa and the other African countries. Of course, that's what's important to the press, right? That's the part that's important to them. And there is an element that is important, but they weren't asking it, which is why was it wrong for Trump to put a ban on China, but it's okay for Biden to put one on several countries on the African continent. And Anthony Fauci said something interesting. He said, well, we're reanalyzing it as we're learning more about Omicron. We're reevaluating that policy. You know, we quoted here the op-ed from the woman who discovered the physician doctor in South Africa who reported the first case of Omicron. She wrote her op-ed a week ago saying everyone's overreacting. Why is she ahead of Fauci by a week? Do you think she's smarter than him, knows more than him, has a better medical degree than he does? Or do you think maybe she's the scientist we should have been listening to all along in the first place? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.